Hi, Kyle. We sound so perky. I we wonder how many perky. people know that this is our podcast voice and not like our, <laughs> our right. You know how we have phone voices, you know, it's <laughs> the same thing. Anyways, uh, we are here with technically our third podcast of June, but really the first podcast of July. Again, welcome to the time travel that is this summer. podcast. Summer. 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 It's all a mystery. It's it all is. a mystery, but we are really excited today uh, to be diving back into some research, which, as you know, if you're a frequent listener of the podcast, we do love to talk about data here because you have a couple of nerds as your hosts. So welcome to the party, friends. Um, <laughs> but on this episode, uh, we are joined again by our friends at GGA Partners uh, to dive into their report a club leader's perspective and if you've um, paid attention to CMA research efforts over the last couple of years you know that the club leader's perspective is something that we've um, shared for the last couple of years coming out of the COVID pandemic uh, and it actually offers some really interesting data points. I've enjoyed looking at it year over year just to see how those trends have potentially changed or not changed to see that our predictions have been correct. Um, but the club leader's perspective really gets to the heart of what's on the minds of club leaders across the country and Canada. <laughs> um, but this report really dives into looking at the trends and issues that are impacting the club industry right now. So obviously, like I said, the pandemic was something that was very top of mind and continues to be in many ways, although now it looks a little bit different. Um, we, you know, GGA Partners has released this uh, survey or report in conjunction with CMAA, and we are again thrilled to share it. So uh, today we are welcoming two experts from GGA Partners onto the podcast again to talk about this report. Um, and the first is Dr. Eric Bray, who is a director at GGA Partners and a researcher and professor at the University of Wisconsin Stout School of Hospitality Leadership. Um, his work there focuses on leveraging analytics to guide the implementation of consumer-centric strategy. He also has a lot of experience teaching courses in customer analytics, golf, club and resort management, marketing, and business strategy, which I think you all will hear that expertise trickle into the conversation as we as we go through these data points. Um, we're also joined by Ben Hopkinson, who is the Director of Client Sales and Success at GGA Partners. He holds his Bachelor of Business Administration um, from Western University. And at GGA, Ben specializes in managing and executing the key deliverable content of the strategic planning process, including market analysis, operational reviews, strategic planning surveys, and marketing plans. So, Again, we're really excited to have Eric and Ben back on the podcast to start to explore the latest iteration of the club leader's perspective. Thank you so much for, for joining us this morning. So first, an easy softball question. How, how are you both doing? How are your summers going? Excellent. Um, up, up in Canada here, we've, we've had a nice, uh, nice hot spring with the exception of all the, all the wild, wildfires and, and uh, Having that leak into the to the states as well, but uh, things are going well. And you know, for me here in, in northern Wisconsin, you know, life is life is beautiful in God's country, if you will. Uh, you know, the club industry continues to to amaze, and it just there's so much to learn and explore. 
and all the, the great things that CMA does and managers and leaders. It's just fun being part of it. And it's better when the weather's warm and there's no snow on the ground, Melissa, let's be honest. Absolutely. I know so many of our managers would say that. Awesome. Well, there's so, the, the recent research project you guys have completed and, and all of the information you put together is great. And so we wanted to take time today with our listeners to really dive into that and give them more perspective on not just what the metrics are, but what what can really we glean from those metrics and what can we put into practice. Um, so I'm going to start off with this first question. Uh, with the challenges that clubs are continuing to face when it comes to workforce challenges and labor shortages. And so, Ben, what advice can you share for those clubs who are experiencing that challenge in hiring at this point? Yeah, excellent question. I think we've, we've seen it. Um, it was even more pronounced this year when we did the survey, um, but it's probably been, you know, at, at the forefront of, of risks and challenges for club leaders over the past two years, for sure. Um, so by now, you know, it's not a surprise to anyone. Um, what I would say is, you know, when we look at kind of the tactics that are working most effectively, it, it's still money. Money is still the, the biggest one compensation, but there are some non-monetary tactics that uh, the leaders mentioned are working well. Um, the top one there is flexibility. So whenever possible, it, as a club leader, if you're thinking about how can I make uh, you know, the work balance a little bit more flexible for my employees, I think that's going to be something that's attractive. Um, also seeing, you know, some emphasis on professional development as well. Uh, and then in just in terms of kind of recruitment and strategies, I think it's just, it's, it's really being a little bit more proactive and, and, and active in, in your recruitment. Um, you know, I'd, I'd say for club leaders, ask yourselves, are, are we doing everything we can um, to get out in front of, you know, local hospitality colleges um, or, you know, getting in kind of networking uh, within hospitality circles. So, uh, I think it's during challenging times, you just have to be a little bit more active in the hiring process. Uh, and then we are also seeing clubs um, invest a little bit more in terms of, you know, training and, and technology as well. You've got a lot of apps and programs these days that will uh, help facilitate, you know, collective training, collective team development. Um, so that's something that uh, the clubs can do, knowing that there's probably going to be a lot of turnover uh, continued in the next year. Um, you can help with some of those, you know, more formalized and automated kind of training programs to bring everyone up to speed quickly. Absolutely. So, you know, transitioning a little bit from our employees to the other group of uh, people that really make clubs important, which is our members. And I'm going to throw this question at Eric. You know, as we continue to manage all of the demands from our members, you know, we talk about measuring member satisfaction. So why is it so important to measure member satisfaction? Why is it such an important consideration for our industry? And what risk happens when clubs are not actually tracking that metric? You know, when you think about clubs, Melissa, you know, one of the great things about being involved with this industry is that our members have a passion for their club. There is a sense of ownership that they want to see the best for the members themselves, their friends, their, their peers. But one of the things that we see is that some members, their passion comes through a little bit louder than others. And when we don't measure satisfaction, we might have a tendency not to understand where the majority of the membership is. The idea that those who speak the loudest get the most attention 
is, is a real concern. And understanding satisfaction at a very deep level, a very comprehensive level, lets us understand where all the segments of the club are. You know, as a, as a, as a young family, you know, I, I have gone through the various family life cycle stages as I've seen my daughter grow. And members do the exact same thing. When clubs say that they're family friendly or that they want to have a family emphasis, they have to truly understand where those families are in that life cycle based upon the age of their, their youngest child. And if we're not doing a good job measuring satisfaction, families can get left behind. And maybe not every family, but certain types of families. And so that segment piece is, is, truly, under, is truly important in understanding that experience. To think of it another way, it's looking at that member experience and truly understanding, you know, are members satisfied with their various experiences at the club? But are they happy away from the club? Do they speak highly of their experience? Are they trying to recruit their friends, their relatives, their colleagues to be part of that club experience? Ultimately, with, if we don't measure satisfaction, we're missing an opportunity to plan for the future and think strategically. If we are not looking at what is a satisfier versus a dissatisfier within a club, when we plan for the future, whether it be capital improvements, operational adjustments, we have to use that satisfaction information to really plan and, and plot that path forward. I love that. <laughs> the loudest voice is not always representative of the multitude. And I think that that's so valuable in so many organizations. I was going to say, that's good clubs. advice, like <laughs> broadly in life, like just because someone complains right. the loudest or the most doesn't necessarily right. mean that's the one opinion you should go with. <laughs> Right. Yeah, I love that. And I, you know, I think with the resurgence uh, of popularity in clubs and golf and really all of our outside activities, you know, clubs have, have such new renewed interest. And so, you know, that, that brings another challenge, uh, which kind of leads us to our next question is, as more and more clubs are reaching waitlist uh, status or maintaining the waitlist that they have, and they're facing that capacity issue, what can the club actually, um, how many individuals can the club handle? You know, um, Ben, what is the advice that you have to clubs to kind of maximize member use without leading to a negative impact on that satisfaction? Yeah, yeah, another fantastic year um, in terms of demand. You know, when, on our report, we showed an, another increase in terms of the percentage of clubs reaching waitlist or increasing their waitlist. So, um, fantastic to see. Hopefully, we can continue that that ride. Um, overall, I think our our if we look into our crystal ball GGA, we're we we would say you know do everything you can to kind of sit tight. And in terms of the capacity challenges, we're expecting that you're going to see you know especially on on golf. You know, I, I think we're we definitely believe that the new norm in terms of kind of usage on a per member basis is going to be elevated from pre-pandemic levels. Um, that's you know partly a function of the renewed interest, but also a function of uh, your flexibility now to to play golf or to use the club uh, during more times, and and mostly due to you know the ability to work from home, to work from different places. Um, but we we do think that you're going to see it continue to rescind slightly uh, this year. We saw it a little bit last year, uh, and I think it's natural it'll continue as more and more leisure pursuits you know create new competition as well. Um, but in terms of for clubs with you know with waitlist challenges, what we would say is is 
you know, evaluate where there's opportunities and kind of soft spots and capacity that you can um, you can use to create value for those waitlist members. You know, the last thing you want to do is just you know almost be lazy and 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 restrict total access for your waitlist members, knowing that hey, the, the good times we're in right now, if that doesn't last, um, you know, you don't want to lose that that audience. Uh, you want them engaged and and to feel like they're a, a continued part of the club. So. Um, most clubs, you know, capacity is really just uh, a perception at, at a certain finite time. You know, it, it might be that Saturday morning when, when members perceive that the golf course is at capacity and therefore you can't have any more member use at the club. Um, but I think if, if clubs take a deep dive into their, their utilization, you're going to see, you know, a lot of soft spots in terms of um, underutilized social events, um, you know, quiet nights in terms of dining, quiet nights on the golf course that, uh, hopefully we can cater that usage for the waitlist group uh, towards those time periods and not impact the uh, the membership at large. It definitely seems that having some really good usage metrics would be uh, very helpful to that to that entire process and knowing when you have those uh, those those quiet times, if you will. Um, speaking of members and member usage. You know, we've also seen an uptick in reports of member misbehavior um, over the last couple of years. And, you know, that, that's a really tricky situation. Eric, can you give us some thoughts on what clubs can do to strengthen their governance to help with that member misbehavior when it occurs? So I think the word misbehavior is such an interesting term because you see a lot of very interesting behaviors society-wide post-COVID. And when we spent time locked down, away from society, away from others, our personal conduct and the way that we interacted with, with each other changed. And as we have emerged, we have to relearn some of those lessons of what it means to have, you know, civility, accountability among our peers. And, and members are no different. Uh, members uh, have learned that right now they can maybe get away with a thing or two that in the past would have been frowned upon. And what we're seeing is, you know, highly politicized or combative behavior, combative behavior that might have happened once in a while prior to 2020 um, and could be dealt with more discreetly has, has reared its ugly head more often and has come into the, the general eye of the membership public. And members and clubs have had a hard, challenging time writing in this behavior. And, and those challenges are going to continue to 2023. Uh, when you look at uh, the majority, if you will, um, you know, they expect to have, you know, clear rules and enforcement of those rules to help ensure that congenial club culture. Um, it's important that one or two individuals, those outliers, if you will, don't ruin it, ruin that culture, that environment for everyone else. And what members want to know is, is what clubs are doing to deter negative behavior. And, and they expect that honest and transparent communication around those topics. And while we could probably have a podcast about these challenging opportunities that exist within the industry, the governance piece is, is one area that I don't know if everyone thinks about as an opportunity uh, to help rein in members and, and kind of reacclimate them to the club environment. The more people you get involved in governance, this involvement will evolve to greater accountability, greater involvement from a larger number of members. If you have the same members serving over and over and over again, they're doing a great job in, in helping the club 
steer it, guide it, and, and get it to, to its most successful future. But when you open up opportunities for those who may not have been involved, they then see the background and they see what happens behind the scenes. And those members create a greater buy-in. Mm -hmm. They know it's their club, but by being involved, they have a say, they have that involvement. And if you were to address you know, political issues or communication, um, having that greater diversity of members involved in making decisions just makes a the process of moving forward easier but also kind of giving everyone involved and understanding why this this behavioral piece is such an important part of the club's culture yeah absolutely i think that that idea of ownership of the rules and the enforcement of the rules and the creation of the rules really right like it goes so far when it comes to like making the inf the an ultimate enforcement of them so much easier because like you said everybody is kind of on the same page they're on board um especially if you've had a hand in sort of crafting that you feel a little bit more like no 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 I get it it this makes a lot of sense this isn't arbitrarily punitive this isn't you know somebody's sucking all the fun out of the day because we're not allowed to talk about what right like there's just a lot more, um, like I said, like ownership. But also I think when when you have that diversity um, involved in sort of the creation of the, those types of rules or the, the process for handling misbehavior, um, you get a lot more like peer policing going on in a way that's perhaps a little bit more tactful or respectful than like screaming in each other's faces or just loudly disagreeing, whatever we want to call it, right? Um, but right. to, to be able to give people that empowerment to like kind of course correct their, their pals is probably pretty good. And you can really only have that effectively with what you said, like clear and transparent expectations. And, and, you know, and Kyle, when you, when you say that, you know, one of the things that we, we hear at clubs a lot is trying to understand dress code mm -hmm. and, and, and what is appropriate dress code. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, four years ago was very different than today. And something as simple as the place of blue jeans mm -hmm. or the length of shorts, you know, all of these conversations that we're all having, when you have that greater governance involvement, there might be a, a shift so that more members understand the reasoning why you have to have a, a jacket for dinner. Right. But on, but, on the, but on the reverse, well, let's have shorts downstairs. Right. So that way families can use it. And so striking that balance, you know, just getting people involved in governance allows members to learn from each other and find that common ground, which as a society we struggle with right now. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's like, it feels perpetual at this point because we've been in it for what feels like so long. Um, but I think what you're saying about, you know, like the governance of the club and, and, and making sure you're striking that balance and also like this process goes a long way in helping shape the culture of the club. If you have that collaborative community, like idea of, you know, we came together to form these rules and we're going to count on each other to enforce them or, you know, live them while we're here. I mean, like I said, that's, that's really just enhancing what the club culture is and helping to define it by living that definition on a regular basis. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> And it's definitely something I think that not only benefits your membership, but also as we talk about the workforce, 
you know, being in a culture where there is accountability um, and there, you know, it, it makes it a, a safe space for our employees as well. So then tackling a little bit now, you talked earlier on that monitoring your utilization and reporting. So can you kind of expand on this in terms of how clubs should be using their data to support strategy? We all say, you know, data driven decisions, data informed decision making. What does that actually mean for clubs and, and how can they implement it? Wow, yes, so many examples here. Um, we, we work with so many clubs and, and we're often, you know, re requesting, um, hey, send us, you know, what you have kind of on a per member basis, all the data points that we can take a look at. And, um, I'm always hoping that uh, that we'll get more and more, but that it's what it means is there's so much opportunity in the industry. Um, if you just think of the, the how many touch points there are and da possible data points for clubs to capture, you know, beyond your your basic demographics of a member, but looking at you know usage um, on a per member basis, uh, I, I think that's where I hope we can get to in the in the next year or two is just you know every every club. Um, bolstering what I would call their their member database, and I think now is a great opportunity. If you think of most clubs with a with a flourishing waitlist, um, it's a chance to um, reset and start with those new members in terms of okay, when they join the club, uh, what kind of data points are we collecting from them? You know, beyond their name, their age, their email. Like let's you know let's think strategically about what would be helpful. Because um, fast forward to you know I think some use cases uh, when we talk about staff and and challenges of training and onboarding staff you know think of how cool it would be if if your staff had a you know a full member persona in front of them when they go to serve someone at a table and they can say okay i know exactly uh, who their family members are i know their birthday is coming up i know what their favorite dish is um you know it, it's that ability to provide a personalized service now that uh, that you're supporting your staff strategically by giving them that that data and that reporting um, you know, and that's and, and that doesn't require anything sophisticated. It's just a it's just a conscious effort and a priority, um, you know, to collect the right data points from your members. Uh, so I, I think that's a I would say that's a big one over the next year is just you know, let's think about reporting on a per member basis rather than an aggregate basis. Um, and if we do that, I think that uh, the clubs will will see how much potential they can unlock in terms of. Uh, using that data, not only to support staff, but more kind of at the board and the strategic level um, to better understand your the different groups of members, how they act differently, uh, their different attitudes, and, and ultimately help kind of guide the strategy for the club. I love that concept of, of building the, the member persona. We talk a lot about that in the communications field and, and the association field of really understanding, and, and that kind of leads back to what Eric was talking about in terms of the segments you know, knowing that this is where your members are, and then you could certainly use that for a number of things. I love that personalized service, but also even in their in their communications, breaking that down to how you could um, connect with those folks and what they're most likely to be interested in. And, and it's so important to, A, just ask a lot of those questions up front uh, to get that information. I think people are willing to share that information and, and that way you can really customize that experience. I love that. I think, Melissa, you know, the, the other thing to add to, to kind of what Ben was talking about when it comes to personas, you know, that's something that we've really seen as a desire within industry. You know, don't tell me what Mr. and Mrs. Smith want. Give me an idea of that group of individuals. Lay it out to us and then, you know, really spend time trying to figure that out. And, you know, some of the work that, that, that Ben's been doing. Um, really does accentuate that need to understand it because we can then really help inform clubs 
on what those next opportunities are. Absolutely. So for our last question, Eric, you know, we so much data here and can you take us through what clubs can, how clubs can really uncover opportunities to drive operational efficiency based on all of the work that they're doing um, in this space? Just to say there's a lot of data in the report is is absolutely a true indicator of what industry wants to share to help understand how do we get better at what we're doing. Um, you know, by by completing that survey and allowing us to, to come on to webcast and really share what our insights are, um, it, it comes down to the fact that, you know, economic volatility is going to be here or it has been here and we don't know how long it's going to stay. Um, and with this volatility, you know, with inflation, with challenges of, of finding the right personnel to staff our clubs, um, there's a lot that clubs have coming at them, especially managers, uh, whether it be the GM, CEO, or other department heads. And to help manage all of this, this operational concerns that exist, it really does come down to, to planning. Um, identifying that right business strategy and making sure you can identify the adequate capitalization to support that plan and that overall strategy. Um, if you think about, you know, the, the club as it's, as its own company, there's a lot of moving pieces. And when we think about that playbook of thinking strategically, we have to go beyond understanding how many members do we have and back to Ben's point about the wait list and really trying to understand the utilization, that analysis, and then prioritizing those member experiences that are A, being used, but also contribute to overall satisfaction. By being proactive and understanding those member-driven attributes, we can have that proactive approach of looking at labor issues, trying to come up with more efficient operations, and, and ultimately that commitment to centralizing governments and, and governance and getting more people involved. When it comes to efficiency, we know, or that's a pretty bold statement, I guess, I think it's safe to assume that labor issues won't be disappearing anytime soon. And with every challenge comes an opportunity to identify opportunities to refine what it is that a club does. And when you have labor issues, this is a chance to understand what really matters most to the majority of your members and build out from there. Maybe we cannot serve breakfast every morning before golf. Maybe it was only one or two members that used it. Yes, we have to have that conversation with those members as to why it doesn't happen, but we can then leverage those resources and put them somewhere else where it really builds out a quality experience for all of the members. Clubs are always gonna be challenged to be all things to all members. And, and this operational efficiency is an understanding or an opportunity to develop that understanding of where the member experience comes in. I think the last piece I wanna add, and then this is always a, an interesting subject because it's technology and technology is plays such a huge role in creating you know a frictionless society and while some clubs can be considered you know behind the eight ball when it comes to technology it's important to remember that when it comes to tech it's important to supplement experiences and not replace them in this space if there's one thing that that you know that we've learned from talking to hundreds if not thousands of members you know over the last year uh, through our work through focus groups is that technology is an opportunity to make the experience better, but they don't want tech to replace that, that membership experience. And as we look at younger members coming in, 
they were born and raised with tech. And it's going to be that balance between new members versus seasoned members and really helping those, those, those members who've been here for 10, 20, 30 years on how to leverage that technology. And when it comes to those seasoned members, it really comes down to, to educating, simplifying, and then creating opportunities to further simplify again. You want every member to feel respected and involved. And if you're looking at technology to create efficiencies, you have to remember that it cannot replace, it has to supplement, and special care has to be taken to make sure that all members feel included in that technological upgrade. I love that. You kind of dovetail kind of into a, a topic that's come up for us a lot lately, and that's really automation technology. Yeah. And, you know, we talk a lot about, um, you know, the association space, we talk a lot right now a lot about chat GBT and AI and, and how that can be used. Um, but, you know, what are you guys seeing in clubs in terms of automation technology, how they're embracing it? Uh, well, I would I would agree with with Eric's point. I think that you're going to be quicker to adopt some of the automation technologies in the areas that maybe aren't quite as member facing. Um, so, you know, like automated mowers, I know we've been talking about that for a decade and they're slowly, you know, slowly being adopted. But, you know, even even just, you know, considering partial automated mowers or maybe it's, it's a it's a subfleet that does, um, you know, only a couple fairways or, you know, we're seeing some interest now in this driving range automated technology. Um, Again, why would a member care if, if the range is being picked by a, a robot? I, you know, I don't think that's going right. to be a concern for the member experience. So, right. um, and then also, I think on kind of the um, back to the reporting side, there's, you know, smart fob entry, um, those kind of technologies that, again, just help alleviate staff, make it convenient for members and also support reporting because now you're getting a, a touch point, you know, anytime someone enters the, the fitness center. So that I think that's where you're going to see more interest, and and probably it'll be slower in terms of the the more member facing areas. Well, yeah. there's there's so much data. Go yeah, ahead, I was going to say no, that makes a ton of sense because like um, I, Melissa and I talk about this like from the communication side, and certainly this happens in clubs too. And we've heard this in our conversations with um, club communications professionals. You're seeing similarly to what Ben was saying about like the application of technology not on the member facing side. I mean, there's a ton of ways that our communications friends are using uh, things like ChatGPT or, or other AI-driven um, tools to help them create content or just like fill out a lot of what they're doing in terms of their communications for the club. Um, and so like that's another space just where that's not member-facing where you're going to see a lot more of those like technological applications at least up front before you start to see them <laughs> where people might have an issue with them. Well, there is entirely so much that we could talk about that is included in the report. Um, so we encourage our listeners to check out more information from Ben and Eric um, on our recent CMAA webinar, which is now available uh, to members via CMA University, as well as um, check out the full report, which we will link in our show notes. I uh, can't thank you two enough uh, for the insights that you share for the industry. It's always a pleasure to have you here on the podcast and, and sharing this great information. All right. Well, like I said, that conversation was full of really interesting points. And Melissa, you did a fantastic job leading our guests through those those questions. Um, and I really think you you got to the heart of some really important uh, points that that research has in its in its pages and its depths. Absolutely. But definitely check out the access to the full report. 
um, in our show notes and as well as you can uh, listen to the full webinar on CMA University. Absolutely. I will also just make a quick pitch and a reminder that um, the board brief, which comes in every edition of your magazine, the club management magazine, um, we've covered segments of the club leader's perspective in the research trends section of board brief several times uh, over the last couple of years, and we'll continue to do so with this new report. Um, but so if you find a piece in there that's of particular interest to you and you think that could be really valuable um, and something that you'd want to bring to your board, please check out board brief because we do dive a little bit more into that and it comes in a very easily deliverable uh, <laughs> publication so that you could just share it with your board members. But keep an eye out for that um, because we do spend some time diving into this report there. All right, what uh, announcements do we have? Sure. Well, first up, uh, I just want to remind everybody that if you have not registered for the amazing club Chef Summit coming up in October in beautiful Scottsdale, Arizona. Could you imagine a better place to be in October than in Scottsdale, October, Arizona? Scottsdale sounds pretty dreamy. Right now, I don't think I'd want to go to there because it might be the face <laughs> of the sun. But October, <laughs> perfect. It's going to be beautiful. And it's really a great opportunity for club chefs to gather together uh, for amazing education. It's really a great slate of education um, and networking opportunities but the window is closing because we yes. are down to the last 15 spaces for that program. So if you have not already registered um, or shared this information with your club chef, uh, please do those. We do max out very quickly mm -hmm. uh, and we want you to get that. So head on over to cma.org and slash select meetings and events and find out more information. Yes. And our, we have some, obviously we have a lot of events coming up. We've talked about this a lot, um, but we also wanted to stick a reminder out there for our friends who might be interested in joining us in September for the annual leadership legislative conference. Melissa, this is your baby. So I will let you uh, make this pitch to our listeners, but you know, friends, it's in September and it's a ticket you don't want to miss. That's all I'm going to say. Absolutely. And earlier in our interview, inflation came up a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, and really, I think the question that's on a lot of our minds right now is, is it going to be a recession or is it going to be resilience ahead yes. of the economy? Um, and as you all know, I'm an economics nerd. So <laughs> we are thrilled and you're going to find out more at the Leadership and Legislative Conference because we have booked an award-winning economist with more than 20 years of experiencing analyzing U.S. monetary policy, labor markets, fiscal policy, international finance, economic indicators, and the condition of the U.S. consumer and that is our partner, RSM's chief economist, Joe Brucellus. So he's going to provide an economic update and assess the question of whether it's going to be a recession or a soft landing for the economy. Um, you know, he's going to be our legislative keynote. And so he'll be speaking with us on Tuesday, September 12th in beautiful San Antonio, Texas. So please check out the full agenda um, at CMIA.org and uh head out for this amazing boutique event. It is Brilliant. one of our favorite events. Um, it's a great opportunity to meet and network with other aspiring, current, and sustaining CMA leaders. So we hope to see you there in September.
Absolutely. So don't don't miss out on that. Go ahead and get registered. You can find all that information online on our website. Uh, if you have questions about anything related to LLC, please don't hesitate to reach out to us at headquarters. Uh, we have an amazing team who've been working on this and putting together this event, and they'd be happy to talk to you about your questions. Um, I think that wraps us up for this episode. We've covered a lot of ground um, and dived fairly deep into some some research and data, uh, which we're really excited to share with you. So thank you for listening. Um, and I hope everyone has a wonderful 4th of July weekend. You won't hear this before then, but I hope that your 4th of July weekend was was great um, and that, you know, your clubs were busy, but not too busy. You know what I mean, right? Like it just is, let's have good vibes, good vibes for the holiday weekend and carry that out through the rest of the summer. Um, but I think that's everything. So thanks for listening. This was Let's Talk Club Management. I'm Kyle. That's Melissa. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks. Take care, friends. Let's Talk Club Management podcast is a podcast of the Club Management Association of America. Since 1927, CMAA has been the largest professional association for managers of membership clubs throughout the U.S. and internationally. The objectives of the association are to promote relationships between club management professionals and other similar professions, to encourage the education and advancement of members, and to provide the resources needed for efficient and successful club operations. Under the covenants of professionalism, education, leadership, and community, CMAA continues to extend its reach as the leader in the club management practice. CMAA is headquartered in Alexandria, Virginia, with more than 40 professional chapters and more than 40 student chapters and colonies. Please learn more at www.cmaa.org org.